Hello everyone, you're listening to FabRadioInternational.com or maybe Starburst's family of podcasts. Either way, you're listening to The Bookworm. I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... Nympha Hayes! Uh, and uh, Nympha is being particularly adorable today because our microphones are being hilarious. I'm leaning! I, I lean! I come to you from the lean, the magical land of leaning. No... So, uh, producer Al is here as she's beavering away with the various bits and pieces and bits of machinery that make this show. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. Well, well, that that was surprisingly not nice. Sorry. Um, I was going to say I thought you were going to say you're looking particularly adorable because you're wearing a dress and that never happens. But no. you are wearing a dress and you look particularly it's, adorable. It has excellent hair. <laughs> she does have I amazing have ages, hair. I have ages, ages hair. Uh, 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 blown hair from from the lovely wind that's outside Manchester that's making it sort of okay I to actually live in this heat because <laughs> oh my god heat who knew I have an, I have unkempt hair that makes me look like an escaped convict <laughs> that's your normal though isn't yeah. it it's that general bewildered look that you get in the kind of have you seen this man he looks very surprised <laughs> sort of anyway this is excellent talk, reading, obviously talk, let's uh, talk about books baby. so c- coming coming up uh, on the show I will be talking about Star Wars Bloodlines <laughs> um, by Claudia Gray and, and I'm going to be talking about Glass Sword by Victoria Aveyard but coming up next the book yours dun dun Shall we open with the one that we care about? Yes, um, I'm supposing that's not the Hugo's. Ooh, 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 a trick. But, uh, Burn. Okay, so uh, Adrian Tchaikovsky, friend of the show, and all round wonderful chap, who we really like his books and we should do more reviews of his stuff. To be honest, I'm sure I'm sure Adrian's sitting there going, "Yes, yes, you should do more reviews." <laughs> But, yes, uh, plug me. But yes, he's been nominated for Hugo. Uh, not Hugo. Not a Hugo, no. He's, he's been nominated for the one to be a care about the, uh, the Clark, Clark Award. Get so, it right, Edward. So, uh, now it's fair here, the Office Clark Award for Science Fiction Literature has released a list uh, in at an opening ceremony at Sci-Fi London Film Festival. Who are one of its sponsors? Uh-huh. Um, the shortlist is made of the following titles. A Long Way to a Small Angry Planet, uh, Betty Chambers, which I believe we described as Firefly with some, some bits taken out. Um, the um, Europe at Midnight by Dave Hutchinson. I have a prediction for Europe at Midnight. Oh. It won't win. Okay. It never does. Oh. Dave Hutchinson, Hutchinson is like always the bridesmaid, never the bride. He, you never know. This may be the gets, year. It's it, the 30th Clark Award, He gets nominated because the stuff he does is really good. I mean, I, I, to be honest, some of the stuff I've, he's, re- uh, he's written, I'm like, yeah. And then you get into it and you're like, oh my goodness, this is quite good. But... <laughs> Yeah, it, nah, oh, always, well, I, good luck, anyways. 
Uh, the Book of the Phoenix by Nandi uh, Okafor. O- Okafor? Okafor? Okafor. Okay. Um, we are Arcadia by Ian Pierce. Uh, the Way Down Dark by J.P. Smythe. And Children of Time, Adrian Tchaikovsky. Uh, spoilers, it contains spiders. Uh, <laughs> it does, because it's Adrian. I know, it's just. just uh, I'm not good with spiders. I, I'm, I'm very bad with spiders. I still haven't seen like the piece with, with the bit with Shella at the, in the Lord of the Rings because I literally leave the room for 15 minutes. Um, so I've never seen that bit. Or, or you know, Aragog. It's just not, not for me. But these are perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think producer Al is just like on my side. But yeah. these Let's move on. Charming Let's move on. space spider. Don't be silly, Dad. There's no such thing. No, in, in space, no one can hear you scream. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it, in space, because spaceships don't have a window, uh, you can't actually get a large glass and just... <laughs> oh, shut up. No, no. Okay, let's move on. Anyways, we love you, Adrian. Good luck. Good luck to everyone that's been nominated. It's a huge honour. And um, let's see many, many more of these Seriously, awards. though, with the clerks as well. The clerks is a good reference list. If you're like, but Ed, I only have time to read four or five books a, a, a year. I almost said a month. Uh, <laughs> I only have time to read four or five books a year, and I like sci-fi. The Clark Awards, just just pick any any of the nominated lists from the Clark Awards, dating back 30 years, and there you go. You've got an instant reading list of <laughs> stuff that is good uh, as a general rule. Um, so More news! Um, okay. Should we say news? More oldies. Okay. Problems so, uh, at the Hugos. Hugo Awards are always... Nobody saw this coming, right? Right? Uh, half of everybody. <laughs> okay, so let's get down into it. So, the Hugo do Awards... We have to yes, really? yes, we do. A little bit. Little let's bit. be honest. The Hugo Awards <laughs> are one of the oldest. They are the oldest. Their fandom is so old, they just call themselves the fandom. Um, because, you know, there wasn't any other fandoms before them. They're that old and that specific. So, yes, we have to talk about the Hugo Awards. And we should be talking about the Hugo Awards simply because, simply because sci fi literature's equivalent of Katie Hopkins is getting in the way at the moment. No! Doesn't mean that we should. Don't hold back, back, Edward. Don't hold back. So, um, in case. Tell it like it is. Actually, I think that's kind of fair. <laughs> it is. So, so, basically, there is a guy called Fyodor Beale who uh, we can refer to these days as Foxman, and we'll get into that in a moment. He calls himself... Foxman! So he calls himself Foxman. No one else does. Um, take that cape off, Fyodor, really, seriously. Uh, <laughs> never, never, n- capes, no. Capes, never. Capes are bad. <laughs> no capes! No so, capes! Sunglasses and trench coat with that, you know, you can do that thing with the trench coat where he runs around and pretends it's a squishy clay. Because <laughs> we all do that. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, so, the Awards have been running for years and years and years. Yeah, it's a very, very prestigious award, and they're a fan-based award. So fans, uh, fans who are attending Worldcon, uh, stop me if you've heard this one. Fans who are attending Worldcon or supporting members of Worldcon can vote in the Hugo Awards, and that's how it works. So what's happened is, Fiedobiel, uh, so a bunch of other guys called the Sad Puppies, um, who are just kind of white collars. They describe they're, themselves. They're spoilers. They are not puppies. They are rabid, rabid no, dogs. No, no, hang on. There's two, there's two functions. Let's, let's okay. kind of be fair here. Okay. So you've got the, you've got these kind of, you've got the sad puppies who are conservative of a small C, and they would describe themselves as white collar worker style chaps. So blue collar is blue collar the working class American vision of working class. They describe themselves as you know down to earth types, and they're like, why are these Hugo Awards full of um, really? good science fiction literature why isn't it not full of more popular more populist stuff 
And the answer to that, of course, is it's always been full of populist stuff. You don't want to be paying attention to the Hugo Awards properly. Um, and, you know, you're kind of being a little bit... One of the things with the Hugo Awards is it travels the world because uh, the Hugo Awards is part of Worldcon. Worldcon travels the world. Um, and if you are the sort of person who goes regularly to Worldcon to, to vote in the Hugo Awards, the chances are is that you have enough money to do that. So you're probably middle class. Mm-hmm. So you're probably, or, or a bit more, and you're probably very picky with what you read. So you probably read a lot because you're going to a science fiction convention every year. So you're probably really into it. So you're probably really well read. So you probably don't read that much pulp. So therefore, Hugo Awards don't tend to have that much pulpy stuff. So anyway, the, the sad puppies were formed to go, well, there should be more pulpy stuff. And rather than doing the thing of raising funds so more people could go to the or, Hugo or, Awards... Or, or just sponsor a bunch of pulp authors. Yeah, you yeah. know, there's or, many things you could do. Or set up their own awards. Or set up their own or awards. Or set up the pulp awards. Yeah, the, the, the more, the Get Jarvis m- Cocker to present it. Yeah, <laughs> what awesome. could possibly go wrong? But anyway, rather than doing all of that, or rather than trying to encourage younger people to come to the, uh, the, the Worldcon, or yeah. maybe organising in a Worldcon, not in America, so so more people can get to it. You know, making it more accessible. No, they, they just they set up a slate which exploits a, a problem with the Hugo Award system, um, and you know, it kind of had an effect. Anyway, how long exactly f- are they managing to, to get all this stuff on? Is it a pure numbers thing? It's a pure numbers thing. Okay. So along comes Vox Day, and Vox Day is a Katie Hopkins, as we say. If you don't know who Katie Cop- Hopkins is, she's good for a, you. Good for yeah, you. Well she's on, yeah. she's the sort of person that says very bland, very conservative opinion, and then but pretends it's controversial. Apparently, she's going to run naked down Regent Street with a sausage up her bum. Should Sadiq Khan become mayor of London? Oh, who is the mayor of London? Sadiq Khan. <laughs> but anyway, it's that sort of that, that sort of kind of right wing. Past the walls. <laughs> Never mind the walls. Black sausages exist. <laughs> Anyway, we are bad people, are but bad it's people. okay. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we've gone on a bit of a tangent. As we, we, we broke anyway. our producer, but it's fine. It should be all right in a minute. Oh gosh! So, anyways, what's Vox, happened right, this on. time? Vox dear packages bland right wing opinion as something controversial uh-huh. uh, and he's like he's being a bit naughty but really he's just being a bit of a pin in the ass uh, <laughs> like Katie Hopkins will have soon yeah indeed um, <laughs> anyway so he's got to go <laughs> he's got together a bunch of his chums including people from the Gamergate mo- movement who are professional internet right wing twal- trolls it's the best way to describe them um to to disrupt the awards they, they've paid for the minimal tickets so they can vote and off they go and they they're claiming they're claiming to to making you know to be fighting a rise of liberalism. they're making a point is what they're, they're not making really now. they're just they're just making money for mr d uh-huh. uh, sorry mr beal even um theodore theodore, theodore. Ooh, ooh. anyway so Simon. That happened last year. It's happened this year as well because it takes two years to make any changes in the Worldcon constitution. Mm. Next year it'll be different because um, there's a complicated equation that's going to go through that's going to prevent slate voting and big block voting. And also you can only vote for four things in the six categories. So even if you do put in a slate, you can't... You can, you, you, if you do clever maths, but you can't quite... How are they going to block slate voting? How can they possibly say, oh, it just, you know... If everybody happens to vote the wrong thing, how can they say, what point can they say, this is somebody doing something they shouldn't be, 
as opposed to this happens to be a really popular thing. There's a thing. Happens. There's a calcula- calculation called Plebius Hugo thing, where basically if you're voting for lots of the same and it's all the same, then an equation kicks in and goes. Actually, you're not you're, you're not doing you know because it's unlikely that ten thousand people are going to vote for exactly the same thing on exactly the same list. If you see what I mean. Whereas if if lots of people are voting for the next Brandon Sanderson, for example, but then everyone's voting for something different in the fan cast. Maybe they're voting for the bookworm in the fan cast, and other people are voting for T and Jeopardy. You know that sort of thing. Different people will vote. You, you, because there's so many categories, there'll be different variants. And also, now you can only vote for four things, and there'll be six slots. So that's that's kind of exciting. So that that to one side. So anyway, it's happened again. The the awards have been disrupted. And well, what we know from last year is what happens is this: some people will drop out. Uh, one guy dropped out, and he went, "Do you know what? I have a choice. I can either eat this shit sandwich." his exact quote or I can stand away from the table so he he passed nomination and someone else got to be nominated Um, and this has happened a couple of times it will continue to happen and we'll talk about it as it it happens the hilarious thing is though is this time around they decided to pick some more trolley votey things so uh, Jim Butcher has been voted for again Jim Jim Butcher could you know Jim Butcher could easily make it anyway you know what I'm saying uh, who else was on there a whole bunch a whole bunch of mainstream people so this time around the the I believe Seven Eyes by Neil Stevenson was on the the rabid puppy sled Box Day does the, the sorry Fidel Beale does the, the rabid puppies which is the right wing spin off of the sad puppies which are also right wing anyway um, so we've got all of that going on and then we get down to now where is it is it best novelette novella or is it best novelette oh who cares shall we just talk about Chuck Tingle no. right oh come on Chuck <laughs> so make me tingle <laughs> I no, believe that's his job <laughs> So, in case you've missed... Oh, it's best short story, Space Raptor Butt Invasion by Chuck Tingle. Space Raptor. Space Raptor. R-A-P-T-O-R. So, Velociraptor. Uh-huh. As yep. in Velociraptor, as in dinosaur. Invading your butt. So, we should probably give some sort of content warning. I'm just going to say that. So, okay, content warning, there may be dinosaur porn. Oh, it gets better. So... <laughs> <laughs> so Vox Day and his trolley chums have decided to troll the Hugo Awards who are a bunch of people in their you know, in their forties to uh, of all ages, but tend to have a big sense of humour. And they've looked at the fact that Space Raptor Butt Invasion has been put on the, the, the ballot and giggled to themselves because it's funny. Chuck Tingle is the pseudonym of someone that we don't know who he is. We don't know who Chuck is. We'll try and get him on the show, he'll say no, but we'll try and get him on the show. Um Chuck writes porn. He writes very silly porn. Some of his porn involves, let's see, one of his is about a billionaire aeroplane yes. that someone d- dates. Another one is about um, him being butted in the butt by his own butt. And then him being butted in the in, in the butt by the book, being butted in the book by his own butt. And then, then it gets even further. So he gets butted by that book as well. Uh, and you it gets can, very messy. It gets very messy. Exceptional. Anyway, as soon as Chip Tingle got the, the the announcement came out, he wrote a book about let's see. In, that, in the space of four and a half hours. Four and a half hours. A homoerotic novel. I was writing like a thousand words an hour, which is impressive. It is. So what's it well, called? Well, I say, man. Slammed in the butt. Uh huh. Uh-huh. 
Well, See, yeah, my, my theory is he, he's already written all of these. He just changes sort of like the the the, the amorous um, thing because, you know, airplanes and well, dinosaurs. So, you know, he, he he's just he's got these 20,000 manuscripts ready to go. <laughs> and all he does is, oh, this time I will sort of change this to a... I don't know. A, 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 a goldfish. A, yes. A Hugo Award. In a this, Hugo Award, so for in, example. So the plot of Slammed in the Butt by my own by my Hugo nomination, which is a homoerotic uh, homoerotic novel, uh, it features a scented Hugo Award called Kelpo. <laughs> because why not? <laughs> so the the other thing, of course, is that um, so. Chip Tingle then went on the Twitter and he was like, I'm very honoured. And then he's like, ah. And then he goes on to uh, Theodore Beale's website. And he sees a picture of Theodore Beale with sunglasses and a trench coat. And he's like, that must be Carrie Reeves from The Matrix. <laughs> Chuck, Chuck Tingle is happy to be writing part three of The Matrix, but invasion. Um, <laughs> we, we've, and then, then he's like, oh no, it's actually supervillain Voxman. And he <laughs> refers to him all the way through as a Voxman. Including um, and describes Voxman's lair as being full of stolen awards and this sort of thing, so he continues to to gently gently troll Theodore Beale up to the point where now the community refers to Theodore Beale as Voxman, Voxman, and obviously because he's a Swedenim, because as Anne rightly points out, we don't know what they look like. Um, he has to and he has to have someone to represent them to pick up the award. So he selected Zoe Quinn. Mm. Zoe Quinn was the woman who was famously harassed by a bunch of internet trolls. Um, who, and these same internet trolls are the ones who are allied, allied with, with Boxman. So it's all getting terribly, terribly silly. It's getting terribly meta-inception. And, uh, but yeah, we're, it's marvellous people quality. are assuming Chuck Tingle is a man. That's a good question. Chuck good Tingle could be anyone. It could be me. It could be you. It could be one of our listeners. Who knows? If, if you are Chuck Tingle, please, please, please get in touch. <laughs> Alternatively, you could just write... Um, Does Chuck Tingle have, has a, have a Twitter? Well, <laughs> Respect! He, he doesn't need to write. If a book comes out called Slammed in the Butt by my own bookworm podcast... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he does. He does. Oh, he does indeed. He has a it's glorious. It's an absolute oh, glory. Oh, it's got unicorns that are made out of pixels. Indeed. What, what am I looking at? They spurt. Let's <laughs> what move. Let's am I move. At? <laughs> um, shall we move on to? Shall we talk about something else? Yeah. No, no, let's talk about Tingle forever. <laughs> I think we should review some of his product. <laughs> okay. Just well, okay. well volunteered. I don't know, but I, I heard that too. I think I think that producer Alice just volunteered. So, uh, bad news. Um, SF Signal is closing down. Uh, it started in 2003. All, uh, as they say, all good things come to an end. Uh, it's a very hard decision, but we've decided to close down the SF Signal. Um, they basically don't have the time. Their lives have moved on. Um... So, uh, John Donato and JP Franz, Hugo Award winning SF Signal fan blog, have 
uh, retired. Uh, we will miss you guys because you guys were awesome and you did guys did some absolutely fantastic stuff. Uh, we loved your podcast. Uh, again, obviously, if you are not listening to SF Signal and you have friends who are like, "There's no SF Signal," point them in our direction. We'll look after your audience. It's fine. <laughs> um, we we shall do. We shall uh, offer ourselves for this great sacrifice. We will take we, one for the podcast. In, in fairness, yes. SF Signal was amazing. Um, shall we quickly talk about the um, school teacher who thinks that fantasy books are bad for children, or should we just ignore him for the idiot that he is? What? Graham Whitling has said that fantasy titles such as Lord of the Rings, The Hunger Games, and Harry Potter encourage difficult behaviour in children. He told parents to steer clear, clear of mystical and frightening texts, and they should instead re- read classics uh, such as those by Wordsworth, Keats, Shelley, and Shakespeare. Yeah, Shelley and Shakespeare, those, those classic. Yeah. Yeah, okay. no, non problematic stuff there, no. no. What a snob. Um, <laughs> that's what it comes down to. It's, it's snobbery. There's no room for that in read modern people education. And encourage your children to read. Exactly. A private school teacher has said, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I used to have an English teacher like this. He stopped when he read Terry Pratchett's Good Omens. Anyway, moving on. Um, Lucas, Lucas Awards. Lucas Awards, uh, another another popularity test award. Um, but this time slightly less... Well, not currently being trolled by idiots. Um, the the top five for their science fiction novel nom- nominations include The Water Knife by Paolo ba- uh, Bacalupi, which we've talked about before, and Sorry Mercy, um, Aurora, Seven Eyes, and A Bold Man. Um, nothing terribly new there. Guess what? Guess what? A House of Shattered Wings is up for, for, for best fantasy novel. Mm. We're not surprised, are we? Uh, and Half a War and Half the What. Joe Abercrombie's up for two young adult Lucas, Lucas Awards for the same series. Uh-huh. And The Shepherd's Crown is also up for that same award. <laughs> the Shepherd's Crown is totally going to win. Uh, well, how can it not? Well, considering that everything's about Pratchett lately, then I wouldn't be surprised. Shall we move on to that, that whole list of stuff that's coming out of the... the oh, yeah, Pratchett? shall we move on to reviewing books? Well, no, well, let's do this one first. We've yeah. got a couple more. Uh, Terry Pratchett's Legacy to be honoured with new product, pro- projects. In case you've missed it, um, let's see. There's a biography of Terry Pratchett, which is being written by his personal assistant, Rob, um, that's coming out. And um, There's a graphic novel version of Small Gods that's coming out as well. Um, there's going to be two adaptations from a uh, novel screen Neil Gaiman is to write the adapting good omens apparently oh my a, god apparently there was a note from Terry saying it's, uh, saying, it's time now yeah, yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is pretty much the ultimate in emotional blackmail yeah uh-huh. Um, and Pirates of the Caribbean writer Terry Rossio is working on a version of Mort for the screenplay and uh, Rihanna Pratchett is working on a version of the We Free Men Nack McFeagle uh, given the fact that she's in it is Susan in that? no Tiffany Aching is oh. and there's a lot of Susan and there's a lot of <coughs> there's a lot of Rihanna Pratchett in both um uh, Tiffany Egging and and Susan, but that's a that's a different conversation we should have at some point. Really. We should. Uh, shall we briefly talk about the fact that there's two new Harry Potter books coming out? Uh, yes. 
So there's uh, Fantastic Beasts, um, where to find them, but it's the um, screenplay for the movie. So it's a different story from um, the original book that was obviously released for charity a few years back. Um, and um, and then obviously there's the Cursed Child Part 1 and 2 which is also a screenplay and that's coming out in July um, at the same time as the um, um, the play has he's been launched in London Shall Yay! More Harry Potter More Harry Potter That's not a bad thing Never a bad thing Not a bad I'm really excited about the movie the, the, the trailers look really interesting and obviously because it's in the past um, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to see how they approach that and it's in America as well so we get to see all that side Shall we Shall we, shall stop? we review books? Yeah, we'll stop doing news and Book show? Review books? Nah! <laughs> Shocking! <laughs> the world 24 hours a day this is Radio International what you got there Edward I've got a Star Wars boot <laughs> So, there's a lot of Star Wars product right now. I'm is. really surprised. It's, it's almost <laughs> it's almost like there's like this major novel, major movie that's come out, and maybe this huge corporation is now control of the IP and is producing loads of stuff. So talking about large amounts of Star Wars product, what happened with the Star Wars books is this: um, when Disney took over, Disney basically went all of that stuff that you've been producing for the last almost four years. Can you stop now? Um, <laughs> And they, they kind of did this thing where they just sat down and basically went, look, seriously, it's really cool that there's all these books, but um, we kind of have to draw a line under it. So they drew a line and they said, all the stuff that from this date is legends um, and may be true or may not be true, but we're not going to explore them. We might use them for ideas, but they're not part of the canon. All this stuff after this line is... So um, I believe, believe starting with Rebels adaptation, they 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 started started again. Yeah, the line in the sand. The line in the sand. They've taken the line in the sand and they've basically said, right, we're going to start again. So Bloodline is a new part of the new Star Wars canon, Boop. and it's all about the Leia. It's all about Princess Leia. It's Princess Leia adventures. It's what Leia did. After Endor, there's a comic as well. Is it? She kind of does go on holidays. There's a comic as well about Leia uh, that explores basically what happens after Alderaan blows up, and apparently she she she's. Uh, um, she demands a, 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 a ship to go and 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 find out if there's any sort of survivors anywhere else from her planet she's, she's every, every bit the princess in that isn't she oh absolutely but and then when they don't give it to her she, she takes one anyways and goes on an adventure Ninfa bless your heart I want to talk about the book instead so, so Bloodline um, no. the, the way it starts Force Awakens not Force Awakens Endor has happened. The Battle of Endor has happened. There's been some bits and pieces, and what we can gather is that there's been a, there's a new republic. Um, there's a whole load of new senators. Oh yes, 
There's a whole load of new senators, and the same old problems have re-arisen. So Mon Mothma uh, basically runs the Senate for a while, gets bored of it, leaves. And then you've got the the centrists, and I believe they're the populists, um, who are these two kind of factions in the Senate. You know that bit in Stars, um A Phantom Menace, and the other the other prequel movies. You know those senator bit, bits mm. where they're always talking about the senate meetings and all those. You know how they are the most exciting bits, rather than the space battles. Those long, boring bits of political mm. lecturing. You know how those were the most exciting bits. Uh huh. Stars Bloodline. <laughs> Well, hey, they've decided to make a whole book about it. Now, I'm being horrendously unfair. Um, absolutely horrendously unfair. Um, this is all about Leia and what she, did, what she did next. So, in this, we know that she's married to Han Solo. Ooh. And, spoiler from Force Awakens, they've got the son. Um, the son is away with Luke. Um, she he's doesn't, called Ben. He's called Ben. She worries about him a lot. Um, and at the start of the book, she's seriously considering just quitting the Senate. Because all they do is bicker. They don't get anything done. One Mothma has left. And without that sort of political leadership, there's an awful lot of bickering. Um, and then, um, one of the aliens from the outer rooms goes, We've got a terrible organised crime problem. Like a serious organised crime problem. Can you do something about it, please? Because you are an organised government, and we are absolutely being slaughtered by oligarchs here. Our civilization is about to collapse. Help! Um... And obviously they faff around because they're useless political cliches. And Leia stands up and goes, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm just going to go. I'm going to go and investigate this because it's clearly an invention and I'm bored. She doesn't put it that way because <laughs> she's Princess Leia and she's much more political. But she basically says, I'm boring, I'm going to go and have an adventure. So, and then someone from the opposite side, who are essentially, you know, more kind of... The centrists are essentially... The, the, the centrists are the equivalent of, I suppose, space right-wing. Um, stand up and go... A young, spunky kind of centrist stands up and goes, I'm going to come along as well, so it's balanced, and we'll do a proper investigation. So, so that happened. Um, and off they go to investigate or organise crime across the galaxy. And what we learn is this. The, the, the populists are terribly badly organised. The centrists kind of, kind of, are basically their, their approach is this. Palpatine was a bad man. He was a very bad man, but he had some good ideas. You might have heard this from a right-wing relative at some point. Palpatine was evil, but he had some really good ideas. Uh, oh, did he really? Uh, um... And, and the young man who's who's into of Leia actually has some emperor, empire memorabilia. It's a little bit on the nose, shall we say. Mm. Um, so they go off, they have an adventure. There's a really, really interesting perspective from the organised crime gangs on Leia. Leia is not regarded as a princess. She's not regarded as a senator by organised crime. She's a general. No, she's a hutzler. <laughs> That's awesome. Sorry. She's the Hutzler. There's, there's a video cube of her killing Jabba that's being passed around organised crime. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and and that's about as deep as I'm going to go into the talking about various bits and pieces and the really cool... There's much more cool stuff in here. Um, I have to say that... F- <sighs> 
it doesn't decide, it can't decide what it, what it wants to be it wants to be either a rip roaring princess lair space adventure or it wants to be star wars a house of cards star wars can do any genre Actually, Star Wars House of Cards might be interesting. It's not that, though, unfortunately. <laughs> it, it, is it trying to be both things and ends up neither? Yes. Yeah. It, it, it goes to the postcode area of a House of Cards. <laughs> <laughs> You're on fire today. And then forgets where it is and then leads, leaves. It and knocks then, on the door and goes, hi, bye. Well, it knocks on the door of adventure and, and then runs away a bit. So it sets... It doesn't it's, quite get thrown off the roof of the House of Cards. Is it fair, though, to say that that's Princess Leia? Like, Princess Leia does both and neither. You know, she's an adventurer, but she's, you know... Yeah, but you, you could totally write that novel, it's just they haven't. Oh, OK. Um, this is more... They're, they're trying to set up the Resistance, they're trying to set up more of the Force Awakens. It's trying to do too much too quickly. Would it have benefited of having two parts to it, do you think? It would have been benefited being a trilogy, and it would have been benefited by having slightly more thriller-style writer. it would have benefited from being a trilogy? Yes. I know, it's the first time I've ever heard that, what? but... So, sometime it had to happen. <laughs> this is this is more this is written more like a kind of this is very much a pulp like a pulpy kind of accessible and I like the fact that it's pulpy and accessible and fun. But what it wants to be, what its ambition is, is something more yeah, three of these which were denser and had more politics and action and action politics uh, talking about the, the birth of the resistance movement and spending more time building on that would have been interesting one it rushes too quickly and it's weirdly too slow if you see what I'm saying because 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 it's a very kind of fluffy story mm. and what what you could have had is the first hundred pages of that could have been a whole novel see I th- Cla- mm. Claudia, Claudia Gray mostly writes you can see why they, they picked it you can see why they got her to write that she mostly writes kind of fantasy poppy stuff which is cool and it's fantasy see it's I knew it's Claudia just, Gray from her young adult phrase and I never quite got into her stuff so that would put me a bit off I mean she's a great writer it's just not my my thing this is it it just feels it feels like it could be it feel, the first hundred pages the first bit of the story feels like it should be a book in its own right set all of this up mm. set this world up and then set up there as a as an adventurer politician mm. which you know is a great idea and then explore you know and have more sen- senatorial bad guys and have more kind of you know more stuff like that but it doesn't it kind of it rushes through it it doesn't have the sort of depth you don't you don't get a feel for Lair as a politician. You don't get a feel for Lair as a, as a hero. Um, yeah. It just feels like it's a bit of a miss, if you see what I mean. Mm. Uh, and the, the bits that are alluding to The Force Awakens also kick off too early. Right. Oh. The, the, there's, there's bits that you're just like, yeah, okay, we know where Han is. Yay! And it just... Mm, not quite working for you. So yeah, as a as a air, airplane read, if you're a Star Wars fan, brilliant. Um, as as a as a bit of a canon that I absolutely adore, not so much. So that's Star Wars, Bloodline, 
Claudia Gray, and you can get that on Century. This is the Bookworm on Fab Radio International, and I'm Nympha Hayes. Um, we've just listened to um, Ed's review of Bloodline, the new Star Wars uh, novel by Claudia Gray. He wasn't very impressed. That really, makes me really sad. Um, so we're moving on to my review, which is the second book in the um, Red Quinn series um, by Victoria Aviard, and it's called Glass Sword. Um, so I reviewed Red Queen um, a, a, quite a few shows ago, mm, yeah. um, and I, I, unlike Ed, I quite enjoyed it. Um, and I suppose it's mostly because you know sometimes you're just in the mood for a type of book, and at the time I really just wanted something that would sort of remind me of of the Hunger Games and and sort of um, oh, what's the other one, Divergent. Um, so I picked up Red Queen and, and, and it was absolutely fine because it was absolutely what I needed. Now, when I got my hands on the second volume... the looks chunky. The first thing that sort of struck, <laughs> struck me was the, the fact that it's over 400 pages. So I was really intrigued to see what these 400 pages would do with the story because uh, I really didn't expect it to be this big. I really didn't expect it to, to sort of like become all of a sudden a big, nice, chunky book. Um, but, you know, it was exciting at the beginning. So, um, How long was the previous one? Uh, it was about just over half, about 300. Wow. Okay. Yeah, about 300 something. So that was hard, but you could kill a man with that. Okay. <laughs> Uh, it is. It's it's not a small book, so it's quite quite a nice, big and chunky volume. We kill a lot of people with hardback books in the show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> really, really like it's bigger than Bloodlines. That Bloodline, you know, it's it's like it's it's bigger. It, it is. Wow, it's, it is. It's like another fifty percent. We're having a book off here. <laughs> book off. I win, <laughs> but you know, size doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> It's what you do if it counts, and mostly what you should do with it is read it. Read it. Um, so, anyways, the first book followed the story um, of. Um, oh God, I'm having a moment. Ha <laughs> ha! Great. Um, so, the, the first book followed the story of Mare. Um, Mare was a, a red-blooded girl in a world where where um, silvers sort of reign. And um, the Silvers had um, sort of um, special abilities and powers, uh, very much on the on the sort of X Men kind of 
kind of line. So it's so it's uh, it's a, a, like a genetic mutation. So these people are sort of the next step in evolution, and they've got this amazing powers. They're you know telekinetics and and um, stone skins that you know very strong, strong arms and all that that kind of thing. Um, and and Mer sort of because of several incidents gets. Um, um, to a point where um, she's swept away with with um, with these royals because she is a red girl that has powers, uh, and this this, as far as she knows, has never happened before. So the royal family decides that instead of sort of hiding her away, that they're going to turn her into a, a lost silver princess and get her to marry the 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 the. the, the Sort of second born, the the, the younger prince, um, who's not to inherit the, the crown, but obviously will keep her um, kind of under wraps and 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 uh, basically she will leave a, a life of lies. Um, but there is a resistance. The the reds are sort of trying to overturn the the evil silver um, reign uh, because all they do is really send people into war and there's this war that's been going on with their neighbouring lands um, trying to get more land because there's not enough food to go around and, and all that just so very very dystopian so the second book starts um, at, the, at exactly the same point as the first one ends so we see uh, Mare and, and the well I don't want can I give spoilers I mean the first book has like I, I, I been think, out for a while I think feel free to give spoilers about the first book and talk around the, the second so yes yeah, so okay so if you haven't read the first book and you don't want spoilers sort of stop listening now <laughs> so at the end of the first book um, Carl and Mare are wanted um, the the queen who can manipulate people's minds has made Carl kill the king. They've recorded it. It's gone out to the world. Everybody thinks Carl's the bad guy. And so he's now a deposed prince and a wanted man. Um, and so with Mare, they've been saved by the resistance and they're trying to get away to a safe base. Um, however, obviously because the Silvers are so powerful... Um, there's this very, very long scene at the beginning where they've been chased by by silvers and some reds as well. And um, I must say, when I started reading the book, I was a little disappointed. Um, it was really hard to sort of suspend my belief around what was happening. Um, it was really hard to sort of believe what what the story where the story was going um, mainly because there's this massive army of of super powered people and then there's mayor and cal and meb's brothers who also has um has powers um and a bunch of um of resistance um the resistance fighters and like the, the like the odds are so overwhelming that i kind of thought what? Why are they getting away? Like, there's no way in in the yeah, real it world doesn't, doesn't really work, does it? That it these people would have gotten away. And I know, obviously, it was needed because she's the main character and all that jazz. But i i found I found that whole battle scene very not needed for, I, to to sort of further the story. To me, because I've also read this. To me, it feels like more. It feels very movie scripty. 
it's like yeah it's like they were trying too hard to get like some sort of action in there when really it wasn't needed if you'd have taken those first hundred pages off and just made Mare and Carl get to the submarine where they then get taken to the rebel base on the island that would have worked fine like there was no need to have all of that sequence yes you know once they got away they got away don't don't then turn it into an excuse to have a massive you know car chase with explosions and blah 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 it's it wasn't i mean if i if i had edited this that first chunk of stuff wouldn't have been there it feels like a remix of Divergent and The Hunger Games in places. Mm. But what she's done is she's changed the pacing slightly mm. and thrown in. It's like the like the, the scene in the, the Divergent series where they're running through the abandoned city. Yeah, and there's like danger and danger and danger and danger and danger. And obviously, the Hunger Games, the, the last part of Mockingjay, where they're going through the city and there's pods exploding with yeah. different traps. That that's how it felt, but. It lacked, um, it sort of, uh, it it shouldn't have been there. It wasn't needed. Like, in my opinion, if she'd have just gone straight into, they've been saved, they're now in the hands of the rebels, and this is what happens, that would have been brilliant. Like, um, and I have to say, after it, I found it really hard to read through those first 100 and odd pages. Once I finally um, got past that and got into the story where basically Mare's discovered um, in the first book that there's more people like her and there's there's a certain genetic thing that you should be looking for uh, and she decides to go and find these people because obviously the new king, Maven, he knows as well that these people are out there and she's sure that he's going to go and try and kill them. Either kill them or try and recruit them to the Silvers um um, cause um, and so it's it's sort of a race uh, against time for her to find these people and try and help them and get them to safety and see if they want to join the resistance and give obviously the resistance a better chance and throughout all of this you discover that actually this resistance that we originally thought was a um, sort of like a small band of people just trying to push against as opposed to having a real chance of, of winning this, this sort of rebellion um, is actually bigger and it involves a lot more than just um, you know, Mare's um, own world and own nation and, and I actually in the end, I got hooked and I enjoyed it, but unfortunately that first bit to get into the actual crooks of the story, just, just, I, I just, it, it, I can't love it. I can't love the book, and I'm really sad because if it wasn't for that, for that sort of discordant note, I, I would have loved it. I read that roughly at the same time that I read Map of Bones, and. Map of Bones is the sequel to the Fire Sign. Yes, I've, I've, I'm getting to that next. I think. Um. Yeah, Matt Bones is better. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the, I mean, the fire sermon was quite exceptional. I thought I really enjoyed it, uh, but then again, I but really enjoyed Red, Red Queen. I had different expectations, um, and uh, like I said, I'm sad that they felt that they needed to put like an extra hundred and fifty pages in the book because it could have been a much better book if it had been edited out. Will you read the third one? I will read the third one because, um, like I said, the last part of the book got me invested enough to want to know what they're going to do. I just really hope that they'll keep to the story 
and what makes the story good instead of trying to turn it into something it's not. It's not the Hunger Games, it's not Divergent, and it shouldn't be. So what's the book and who's it behind? Is it in many three parts or will there be more? I think it's three. I think there's one more coming. Because that's how you sell the movie rights. <laughs> Shut up. Uh, so it's uh, Glass Sword is book two. It follows the first book called Red Queen and it's by Victoria Aviard. And it's published by Orion Books. been a bit disappointed yeah i think we've we've just agreed that the, the theme for this show is book that books that could have been great but kind of weren't and and yeah it's always a little disappointing i mean we've we've done reviews before where where it was books that either we didn't enjoy at all or that seemed to have promise and then kind of let it down and like sort of tanked a bit um like I said, I, I did. I think the book for me, um, Glass Sword, did enough to pull itself back and get me back into track for reading the, the I think, the last book in the trilogy, um, if that's what they're doing with it. But, like, if I'd listened to, uh, like, well, if I now listening to Ed's review of Bloodline as a Star Wars aficionado, I'm like, I, I don't think I'm going to bother. It, it's just. Do you know what? It fits in nicely to the world that has defined, and it just it's it's there and it works. But you just there's so much stuff now that the House of Mouse owns it that's come out for Star Wars that there's inevitably going to be some stuff that doesn't float your boat. But there's Mm. enough other stuff out there that probably will. It's Mm. it's utterly inoffensive is the thing, and it fits in. You know, it's got a lovely tender moment between Han and Leia, and it it establishes this and it establishes that, and we learn we learn about the you know there's there's a great bit where she takes the time to go. This is why she's not a Jedi, and blah blah blah. goes through all these various bits and pieces because we know in the movie from The Force Awakens we know that Leia's never picked up a lightsaber we've got a rough idea that she's never picked up a lightsaber no she's not but we know she has the force because obviously she knows when Han dies like you can see her the moment he dies she sits down and has that pained expression spoilers for The Force Awakens which if you haven't seen it then tough really at this point meh you've had if you haven't seen it you haven't seen it you're not going to be that why not if you haven't seen it you're not going to be that fussed about spoilers it's been on out on Blu-ray for like a week now so you know I've got I'm sorry I've got no 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 qualms in in spoilering um yeah, no, no come to that either. Um, I do. I am interested to see what happens if they ever actually turn um, the, the the glass sword and um, the red queen into movies. Because I know Victoria Avia sold the rights, mm. but that doesn't necessarily guarantee it's going to get produced. Because you know someone has to decide that that's going to make the money. This is one of the problems I have with certain sorts of book deals, where you read it and they go and. And it's been the movie rights have already been sold, and they sit there going. Most things uh, nowadays do. 
but but most things don't see the light of day but if 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 the project as an example Ernest Klein's Ready Player Ernest Klein's Ready Player One is a great book Ernest Klein's Amada is a rubbish book and the reason uh, Amada is rubbish is because Ernest Klein was talking to uh, Steven Spielberg about Ready Player One while he was writing Amada Mm. and there's bits in Amada that clearly make this into a movie as well please and you're like no Ernest no (laughs) no stop that Ernest please please don't do that because it's not what it should be and unfortunately it ruins the book and I think dreams of Hollywood are you know are, are, are problems sometimes especially for younger authors I still think I still think the my favourite response to would you like your book made into a movie was Joe Abercrombie who was like yes I would love my book to be made into a movie so I can have a toilet made out of gold <laughs> and I was just like excellent That's a, there's a realistic response <laughs> Um, as we've got five minutes to kill, shall we talk about the Fordio Society's <laughs> letter first? Uh, uh, okay. Okay, so I'm going to show this to Ninfa. Just, just look at the photos of that thing. Oh my goodness. I mean, yeah, we... You see? You see? You see, we occasionally talk about... We talk about subterranean press as well. Uh-huh. As they do. Oh God, I and love subterranean press, but oh, can I have that, please? <laughs> no. <laughs> Damn it! I don't. I don't think there's ever a way we can get our hands on something like that without winning the Romanians. It's uh, in case you haven't noticed, the Folio Society is some beautiful books. We talked about them before. We really like the Folio Society. Um, we love Dune. Uh, we love 2001. We understand that some of our science fiction and fantasy is coming out soon. There's some absolutely gorgeous stuff that they do, but they also do like bespoke limited editions yes which is so beyond our price range and also there are things like Shakespeare uh, which are kind of past the remit of the show um, but my goodness just go online have a look at those and go it's just it's beautiful like it's those books that you put on your bookshelf and you look at them and smile you just smile because they're so things. beautiful books is things rather than it's the thing I like about the 2001 actually is that 2001 is um, it's the first ever illustrated one yes and it's just so pretty and so so well done. Um, See, yes, it's, it's, it's of a small of a small bespoke presses are available. <laughs> it's when when like when I bought the Lord of the Rings, um, the book, because um, we all had like the little sort of uh, paperback versions and stuff for reading. But I wanted a nice one, and I went and for me, I spent like a, quite a bit of money. But I look at that book and. It just makes me so happy. See, my brother had a, still has a collection of them from the seventies, oh. and they're not obviously they're not like first editions, but he they were precious to him. Mm. So when I started, precious, re- yeah, oh. precious. So when I started reading them, I did the sensible thing of getting them from the library so it wouldn't damage <laughs> my brother's books. <laughs> you chose life. I chose to live. Uh, that and. <laughs> That and you know, because we were that sort of growing up, we were that sort of family of just like sitting there going, "This is this is beautiful cream notepad." Oh, I tell you what, I'll fill it full of stuff in Tengua. And I, I found this a little while ago. I found my attempts at calligraphy on beautiful, beautiful. Someone had obviously given me this beautiful notepad to play with, and my 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 kind of childhood attempts at Tengua. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I basically vandalised. I might as well have just got in crayons. <laughs> Tengwa is in Elvish, by the way, in case you're like, what? what's he talking about, Tengwa? What? Cross? What? Um, <laughs> um, so what are you reading at the moment? 
right now. Oh my goodness, what am I reading at the moment? Um, oh, I'm reading um, a, a Tolkien book about Tolkien's language and linguistics. Oh my word. Um, it's two essays by Tolkien. Uh, it's called A Secret Vice, and it's about his approach to language and linguistics. It's amazing. I'm really enjoying it. And I'm about to start reading Rain Warren's Escapology. Uh, have you read the Beowulf translation by Tolkien, the, the adaptation that he did? I've, I've read Seamus Ophingy's one, mm. um, and that was quite good. Mm. But that one, the book, because, mm. you know, for, for new in, in the, uh, lit, lit, literature, Beowulf, well done. Well done, the Booker Prize. <laughs> yeah. What are you reading at the moment? Um, Days of Blood and Starlight um, by Lainey Taylor, and he's, um, the second book uh, is the book that follows Daughter of Smoke and Bone. And like I've had it for quite a while. Obviously, the 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 series is now finished. It's all it's all been published and stuff. And it's been on my shelf for a while. And every time I thought, oh, I really want to read it now, there was always something else. Uh, and then I picked it up two days ago, and I'm halfway through the book, and I'm mm. like, oh my god, it's so good. It's funny how it just catches you when you're in the right mood, and you just like. Yeah, it's really really good. And then yesterday I read the second volume of German Hologram's graphic novel, and the third volume of Rat Queens. And Rat Queens. Oh my god, it's. Oh my goodness. So cool. So sad, so cool. So yeah, I'm, I'm really loving those two series. One is absolutely adorable and cute and pretty, and 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 volume two has art by Emma Vicelli, which we love. And in fact, I can I can probably say that her art in the volume two of Jam uh, is my favourite. Ninto on the subject of books and the Wicked and the Divine. One, two, three, four. I've been your host, Ed Fortune. And I've been in for Hayes. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab, Radio International and Starburst magazine. Presented by Ed Fortune and Nympha Hayes. Produced by Ann Davis.